We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Adam Humphreys. Ball came out at the end. And Buffalo has it! Davius White with the recovery. That's Taiwan Jones on a little trick move, and he gets a first down. And that's a back-raking run against this Buccaneer defense. He's made from 52 and 25, and drills it. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Bell Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Kruger, and with us tonight, we have a very special guest, Everyone's favorite Buffalo Bills flag holder, Mr. Greg Trelone. I hope that's the case. What's up, Drew? <laughs> Greg, how's it going? It's good to be back since I was the first guest ever. Folks, you may board. not remember. Most of you probably haven't been listening long enough. In fact, I know you haven't because I, I, I watch the download numbers. I know no one listened to this show. Our very first guest ever was Greg Trelone. Now, he does YouTube videos previewing all of our upcoming games. And he is the end. Basically, my season tickets are in section 200, right on the scoreboard side of the field. Greg is one of the flag holders in my end zone. It's fantastic. And I've known Greg for years. It's the best. Oh, yeah, we, we have. <laughs> Actually, you know what? It, it, this is funny. Here's a kind of a funny story. We could start this off. I watched you. How how are you doing after the Reaper wing challenge? By the way, I'm okay. I'm actually. Right I have there. Reaper sauce over there. I'm going to be you? putting it on my wings later tonight. Using it later tonight. Okay, that's perfect. When you when Chris was giving you trivia during the the Reaper Wing Challenge, he asked you uh, who the head coach of the Houston Oilers was during the comeback game, and you said some guy who didn't know that Don Beebe was out of bounds. And in a roundabout sort of way, that's how we met. Yep. Because that's how you met my brother. You were out at an unemployed, unemployed <laughs> Drew Gear out at a, at one of. Lancaster's finest establishments, uh, you know. Long neckers. Listening to no, definitely not long neckers. Uh, listening to over, or maybe just overhearing I eavesdropping overheard, on a conversation. I, I drunkenly over it. I remember just pounding vodka tonics, 
And somewhere behind me, I heard somebody talk about Don Beebe. Right, some guy with curly hair. Some guy with curly hair. Yep. And it turns out it was Greg's little brother. It was. And that was the start of a beautiful friendship. And now we've kind of gotten to know one another. I didn't know that Greg is the flag holder for the Buffalo Bills. Now, first and foremost, I want to start out with your YouTube channel before we get into the, the, the on right. the field stuff. Can we, can we just start with this? It's going to take two seconds. Sure. Your show intro, Fox Sports, Chris Myers. So, Greg. Your YouTube channel. I, I got to know. So you started this thing off just on a whim. Yeah, actually, <laughs> I, I remember it was the it was 2009. It was the T.O. year. And uh, I was sitting in my college apartment and I'm thinking, man, I just have so many thoughts because the bills. I don't know what's going on. We signed T.O. There's a lot of things going on. I, I just got to rattle off some thoughts and I'm going to record them and mm-hmm. just put them online. And that's what I did. And it didn't really take off for a while, but I didn't care. I just kept doing it because it was fun to me. And I'm sure if I went back and watched him now, I would hate just about everything I said because <laughs> so way, it's like the way, the way your opinions develop over time, you know, and oh, yeah. especially when your team's not making the playoffs. But I mean, 2009, I mean, that means next year will be the 10th year I've been doing it, which is kind of crazy to me. That's incredible. Yeah. And he, he gets he gets a couple thousand views on his page. Guys, I encourage you to go listen to it. We're going to link to it in the show description. Yeah, you have to, this has to be like some kind of what you say it all the time when you come over here. You get your, you relieve stress. You're in front of a camera. You're talking your, you get your thoughts, thoughts out, out I, about the bills. Right. It calms Drew down. I mean, how much does therapist cost? Like $270 an hour. Exactly. Or like like, and no, instead I, just talk I can to my, sit here. Just talk to my iPad. Yeah, I can sit here and drink a 12 pack and talk football with Chris. And that, yeah. that, that works for me. That's simple enough. Well, lately, according to the board, you've been drinking more than a 12-pack. Shh, quiet. <laughs> so in any event, this season, things have, I, things have really kind of taken off. One of the things I love about Greg is he's just knowledgeable about football, which is why I'm glad he's here just to kind of pick through all this stuff. Now, being the flag holder, I mean, th- this is where I'm going to, f- just to get folks used to you and like your experience with the game and how close you get to right. it. How long have you been a flag holder? This is my third season doing it. Third season. Yeah. Now, in the three years that you've been doing it, there's been a lot of ups and downs. This year, we started off 3-0 and at home. Mm-hmm. I got to ask, what is that like, being down there on the, at field level when that clock hits zero and you know the Buffalo Bills just pulled off a win? It's, it's as relieving as you, you, know, you expect <laughs> it to be. It's pretty cool down, being down there because I get to walk – you know, down the sideline after the game and see the players' reactions and whatnot. So that, you know, in some of their interactions, the jersey swaps and whatnot, mm-hmm. I don't walk directly through the middle of it, yeah. but I do see some of it. And, you know, I don't know if I'm supposed to or whatnot, but I get to, you know, have very brief conversations with the players just as they run by or something like that. <laughs> but, I mean, they're I mean, they're in a great mood. I'm in a great mood. The fans are in a great mood, just yelling, screaming for players, looking for them to come over and, Sign stuff or throw gloves or whatever mm-hmm. into the into the crowd. I mean, it's I don't have to explain to you. Like you know, Buffalo sports. You've, oh you, yeah, that, that, when that they're intensity. good. Like oh, I yeah. mean, you remember when the Sabers were good? About yep. that was about ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. Like the entire city just shut down when they were when their playoff games were going. Mm-hmm. So I mean, not that that happens during the you know during the Bills games, but you know I got to figure ten percent of the local population is at these games. Now we hear a lot about the players being excited. Yeah, obviously they are. The coaching staff's got to be excited. Everybody's excited. What about the among the employees of the team, guys who work there? I mean, I talked to our usher Tony. He's been my uh, he's been the usher of my section for going on seven years now, and I've known him just sitting in that section for mm-hmm. longer than that, probably going on a decade. 
Tony said that he couldn't, he, he said that this is probably one of the most exciting seasons that he's been a part of so far. And that's going back to the year where we started out. What were we, 4 and 1, and we beat the Patriots? 2008, 2011. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so you're talking, it's been a while since there's been this kind of a buzz. I mean, among your coworkers, I mean, I feel like it has to be infectious. Absolutely. I, I mean, I only get to see some of the, I get to hang out with the other flag holders, but I, I get to sit in on the pregame meetings, um, like the presentation meetings um, mm-hmm. that are coordinated by, you know, uh, primarily Jeff Matthews, um, who's a terrific guy. And is really on top of everything. He goes through everything that's going to be literally every commercial break, everything that happens. He's on top of, and he works with just about everyone with Coach McDermott and whatnot for you know. Because apparently, this is one thing I didn't know. Sean McDermott has, wants things done a certain way. Maybe you knew yep. this. Oh, but I have everything the down, everything down to the game presentation. If you notice this year, the Bills warm up on the opposite side of the field. Yep, they have never warmed up on like I mean I don't want to say never, but for years. Mm-hmm. And I mean at least. Over 10, 15 years mm-hmm. have warmed up on the far side, scoreboard side of the field. Mm-hmm. And now McDermott wants them on the tunnel side of the field. So that's what they do. And like, that's, <laughs> I, I, if that's the way he wants just, it. These are just, I can't tell you everything that I learned in these meetings, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, that's just one of the things I learned. And I just like, I don't know why, but that's one of his changes. And it's, you know, hey, it, what, it's, it's working. Right. Why? It, whatever, I'm not going to question it. Yeah, they're 3 0. They haven't lost warming up on that side of the field. Now, here's the what probably about being a flag holder. Here's the questions everyone wants to know. First and foremost, there's moments. There's moments in every season that really just stand out to you. Now, I got to ask you first of all, the heat wave game. Brilliant. I was in the stands, shirtless, pouring sweat. Mm. I, I mean, I had sweat through my shorts, I had sweat through my jersey. I was, I couldn't lean forward because sweat would fill up my sunglasses. I was a mess. I was what standing were, right next to you wearing jeans. Because you're from Hotlanta, where <laughs> you grew no. up in Hotlanta. Come on, have, that's a mistake. So, what was it like being on the field where it hit triple digits at points? Uh, well, <laughs> however hot you think it was, that's how hot it was. I was, I was dying. I'm like, uh, when the Bills would score, I would, yep. it was, it was, I was jogging with the flag, like a light jog, because it was just the air down there was just that heavy. Because obviously we get the humidity and everything oh, yeah. too. So how did you guys maintain was, morale through that? Like they yeah. had to be just a well, they were winning. Experience. They were winning. That's how I maintained morale. If and they were losing, that would going. have been terrible. That's, Absolutely. Well, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I know in the stands we ran out of water. Did you run out of water on the field? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I do have access to the the water table, the, the same water table that the Bills mm-hmm. use. Um, Thank God for that. And I well, only at, really at halftime because yeah. the players are there. I'm not allowed in the bench area mm-hmm. while the players are there. But, um, I mean, I did ask a couple buddies who were in the stands. One guy was close. I'm like, yo, can you bring me some food or something? He didn't because he's a jerk. But, you know, um, <laughs> that's fine. Uh, I just I, – I screwed up because I didn't really eat before that. I ate when oh. I before – the, before, the, before I left for the game, so at like 7 yeah. o'clock in the morning or so. And then I was, so I was starving. But I just had about, I don't know, 10 or 12 cups of water at halftime. But so it was hot. So it sounds like that's probably one of the most grueling moments of the season. What so far through three games has been the highlight of the season for you being down there on the field? I mean, I, I, I tweeted out the screenshot of you just yelling and fist pumping. <laughs> yeah, that's fun. There. So what, what's been the highlight so far of 2017 for you? Uh, on the field, it was, it was probably the Tampa game because it was the closest game. I mean, the Bills won by 10 against... They won by two scores the other two games. They won by 10 against Denver, and they won by nine against the Jets. This game was, mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I know we'll talk about it, but let's just let's be real. It felt like it was slipping away with like four minutes to go. It's like, oh well, they're they're going to lose this game because mm-hmm. of just based on what you've seen, just being a Bills fan and whatnot. It, it felt like they were going to lose this game. I wasn't ruling it out by any means, but it just <laughs> felt like it was a game they were about to give away. And, uh, you know... It, Drew had those I, same thoughts because he left. Oh, oh yeah. Well, yeah, we'll I want to hear that story, too. But, like, how often does that, like, fumble play, does that, like, go away? It seems like oh, that, that, that's no. always happening to us. Not just, o- not maybe, only, and maybe that's luck. Not, not only was it a fumble, it was that Trey forced it. And recovered, and recovered it. it. So that that moment, though, that's captured now forever on film and will exist forever on the internet. Yeah, that's can, what I think of yeah. when I think of what it means to be down there on the sidelines. Just that intensity. Like I don't know yeah. how I, I couldn't contain. Right. It. No, I can I hear Leonard Johnson and Tre'Davious White yelling that to each other. Awesome. Yeah, it's 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 awesome. It was a great experience. All right, folks. Well, Greg knows his shit about football, and I'm glad because we're going to get right into it with tonight's Buffalo Bills news update. Round and round and round it goes. Brandon Brandon Bean is never really happy with this roster. I, I've reached the conclusion that he has never done tinkering. Just when you think, you know, okay, this is what we are, this is what we know about our roster, he goes ahead and makes another move immediately before the podcast, making me change what I want to talk about. Kalen Clay has been released, and defensive back Tony McRae has been signed. Now, this is what I'm looking at. You've got wide receiver Kalen Clay. He was here for four games, cup of coffee. He had one catch for 28 yards in four games. You kind of knew. I was surprised when I saw from the stands that Brandon Tate was returning our kicks and returning mm-hmm. punts. I, I was surprised not to see Clay active. You know, I don't check the list. I'm tailgating. I don't check the inactives right. list before the game. But when I saw that, I was like, well, that's not good, especially since we just signed this Deontay Thompson kid. Well, I'll tell you, Thompson made Clay expendable. I mean, Clay was here for four games and couldn't accomplish anything. Thompson came out and flashed. It's not a shock that he's not here anymore. Right, and and Clay was in Carolina where Bean and McDermott both were last year. Yeah. So I don't know if that speaks to him or whatnot, but they basically just said, hey, <laughs> this, you're not necessary. Deontay Thompson's working out pretty well, and he's only been here for six days. We thought we knew you was a deep threat. Well, it turns out this guy's better than you, so uh, get the hell out. Yeah, and well, then we needed uh, <clears throat> we needed a defensive back. Well, and that's just it is we needed a defensive point. back with the injuries that are starting to pop right. up. But I don't know about t- this Tony McRae kid. I mean, he's 2016 undrafted free agent. He's played in five games. He's recorded zero statistics. He's only five nine and 178 pounds. Now that doesn't strike me as ideal mm-hmm. to fill. You know, people are like, oh well, EJ Gaines got hurt, so we signed this guy. I don't know if I like the logic there because do we even have a defensive back on the practice squad? I thought I it was assume. Greg. I, I thought it was Greg Maben, but then uh, well, Sammy, he was on. They the, brought Sammy Seamster back. I believe Seamster. Okay. Yeah. Well, in any event, the guy doesn't seem like he's big enough to really fill a significant role for us. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that we don't need him in a major role on Sunday. Right. No, I, I, I guess I would agree with that, especially because he's only been here, you know, a couple days now. Well, mm-hmm. By the time about a week, by the time. The next game rolls around. It's just I, 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 I'm getting a little frustrated with the. It seems like a weekly EJ gains to the locker room mm-hmm. thing, but he keeps playing. So I don't know what the issue is there. Well, this has been the story of EJ Gaines' career, and this is why the Rams were okay with letting him go because in their eyes, he's a guy who, when he's on the field, mm-hmm. can give you starting caliber talent, but he's fragile. 
whether it's he, I mean, and when you talk about injury prone, there are some things that are beyond a player's control. No matter how much you condition, no matter what you do, you see the, you know, the type of player I'm talking about. The guy who comes in every camp, he's in shape, and then it starts with, oh, well, he pulled his groin. Well, now he's going to try to play through the groin injury, so he pulls his hamstring because right. he's overcompensating with other muscles. EJ Gaines just EJ Gaines always has something wrong with him, and I think that that's why the Rams were okay with letting him go in the trade. If he can get back to healthy, I, at this point, if I'm the Bills, I shut him down for at least a good two weeks. Let two, he's three good weeks. when he's in the lineup. Exactly. So I would do with the Bills. I think they rushed him back for this game, knowing that they were going to be under siege with these big physical wide receivers of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Okay. Rushing him back was probably a mistake. I mean, it, it might make sense to what you know. Going to your point for two weeks, they have two games in five days coming up with the the Raiders and the Jets. So. Yeah. If they sit him for the Raider game, it would seem likely that they probably wouldn't put him out there for the Jet game either. No. Or maybe they do. Maybe they sit him for the Raider game and just play him for the Jet game because then he has 10 days before the next game. But I, I don't really know where he is. I, McDermott, I believe, said he was day-to-day, yep. which he's been day-to-day exactly. for like six weeks now. So, <laughs> exactly. But he keeps playing. and He, he should have had an interception. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Jackson just kind of ripped it away from him and ended up catching the ball. Yeah, that was uh, but, absurd. That, that was absurd. It, he's been he's good. Well, that, he's a good player. And I've seen it floated around on social media about Byron Maxwell. Stop. Don't stop. Take all of that. I want you to whoever whoever's out there spinning this stuff about the Bills needing to sign Byron Maxwell. Hard pass. Take that idea, put it into your grinder, crush it up, put it into your pipe, and continue smoking it yeah. because that's some of the craziest shit I've ever heard of. Every time I watch that guy, it's just like penalties. It's just at least what it seems like. He's a sloppy He's player who benefited right. Seattle from, from the Legion of Boom. Obviously, Seattle knew years and years and years ago. The Seattle Seahawks had Byron Maxwell and knew what he was. They knew he was a byproduct of playing with superior talent in Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas. So they allowed him to walk. And for and Brandon Browner, he was a slot guy. It seems like that's a good point. Browner, too. Like, whoever their other cornerback is, they don't care. Yeah, they don't care. It's an interchangeable position. They let those guys go constantly because they know that they benefit from the play of the other three. Right. So, essentially, what you dealt with was they traded – well, he signed with the Eagles. And then very quickly, the Eagles realized, oh, shit, this guy isn't good. Let's trade him to the Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins in the deal didn't exactly get fleeced. I mean, they did end up with – they traded away the number eight overall pick, I believe it was. The number eight pick, and they acquired Maxwell and Kiko and Alonso. Kiko, Alonso right? Kiko Alonso's not a terrible linebacker. He did well in spots here. I mean, he's. I think he's playing pretty. I mean, I would <clears> say, not, I don't know about Pro Bowl level, but he's playing well for them. He played well right. enough to get a contract extension. Right. And at the same time, Maxwell was a guy that they thought could step in and anchor one side of the field for them. So in their mind, they're getting two defensive starters for the eighth overall pick. What they didn't know was that. The Eagles would take that eighth pick, parlay it with another pick, and end up with Carson Wentz, who is looking more and more like the steal of that draft at number two. I'm sorry right. if I'm the Rams. I'm kicking myself for not taking Carson Wentz. Well, you got to give the Rams a little bit of credit right now. They're five and two. They're playing pretty well. They're, I mean, they're leading that division. They, I saw something they today look on Pro Football Talk. Good. I saw something on Pro Football Talk today about how in the power rankings they have the Rams ranked somewhere like seven or eight. Nine, and they said that when the Rams are hoisting the Lombardi Trophy, oh boy, people will still be questioning whether or not this team is any good. Yeah, because that's the truth. You know what it is though, and it's 
I mean, it's not any player. It's not the like the guard they got. It's not the receivers they got or whatever or the quarterback. To me, it's the coach. I, I think Sean McVay is one of the brilliant young minds in the NFL. People say he's innovative. Right, 31. Oh, innovative, mm-hmm. yeah, whatever. Whatever that means. Creative, whatever. <laughs> like, he's 31 years old. Like, oh, you're too young to be a coach in the NFL. Like, says who? Everyone's been clamoring for, like, these Madden players, yep. these guys who think logistically <clears throat> about the game. And that's what he is. And they got rid of Jeff Fisher, who's the most old school. Oh, my God. Remember the fake punt? There is. My, my, yeah. my, my be- I think my favorite Jeff Fisher moment of all time will be last year in the Bills game when they tried the fake punt. Horrible. On their own, on their own, like thirty-two yard line, and it blew up in their faces. And correct me if I'm wrong. This is after they had like fourth and goal to three or something, oh, maybe no, the no. six. No, no, they they had the ball. No, no, they did kick that, field and they goal. kicked the field goal down seven, and then to go down they four. had the ball on our forty-two yard line, but punted, yeah. and then tried the fake field goal from their own thirty-two. But in the post-game press conference. Jeff Fisher has the balls to say to the media, listen, he goes, that because they called him out on that play. Yeah. And his response was, yeah, well, when it works, it's real good stuff. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Like, no kidding. Are you, no shit when yeah. it works. The- Everyone knows the best spot <laughs> from that game was you bitching about the Rams cutting our defensive backs up. And as soon as you shut your goddamn mouth, Pick six for Ron Darby. Roby Coleman. No, Roby, Roby Coleman. Coleman. Yeah. Who is now a Ram. Who is now a Ram. <laughs> so there's a lot of, I mean, this Byron Maxwell thing, we can kill it now. It shouldn't happen. If it does, I'll be upset about it. Yeah, that's how That's how this whole thing started. Byron Maxwell. Byron no. Maxwell. Hard pass. Now you want to talk about other moves that people are talking about making. Marcel Darius on the trading block. In an article by Pro Football Focus, the story basically came out that Marcel Darius was on the trading block. This preseason. Right. Not surprising. And that he's, the, the front office is still very much open to trading him if they can find a dance partner. Now, we've talked about trades on the show for weeks now. Just essentially telling fans that, listen, every fan out there thinks that this is Madden. And you can take a Marcel Darius. Somebody will just take him. You can take yeah. a Marcel Darius and you can yeah. trade him for a Sammy Watkins and you can get a number one wide receiver. It doesn't work like that. You have to understand the salary cap. There are very few teams in the NFL who are built right now with their salary cap structure to absorb $16 million right now. Or the, including the Bills, who yep. would have to eat like something crazy that's my and dead point. money. We would have to eat his dead money. And at that point, that's poor cap management. Mm-hmm. You just don't, even though you are, because some of their GM already threw good money after bad. Don't fall in, further into that hole by being forced to eat the dead money. After you lose the player, sure. if there's something maybe in the in the new league year that starts in you know in March at the draft or something mm-hmm. where you can flip them and eat less money or something, which exactly. might be a thing, like that might be a thing to do. But for right now, you're not really in cap hell, so why put yourself there exactly when you got a, a he's a good player? I mean, but so now you want to talk about getting in cap hell? Going through some of the comments on Reddit, just to our our podcast posts and some other things that I was commenting on. Right. I came across this one that stuck out to me. Reddit user RushFan69 sent me a comment that basically stated that Whaley made a mistake to pay Darius and said that his contract is one of the worst in the NFL. It's really easy to say that when you're taking it from... As an onlooker, yeah. As an onlooker from the outside. Hindsight is 2020. It is very easy to look and say, hey, this is the worst contract that's ever been given to a player ever. But it got me thinking. The wheels started turning in my head. Mm-hmm. I get very analytical about this stuff. When someone says, that's the worst contract. 
What is it? What is a four-three defensive tackle, and what should they be paid? Does anybody even know? So here's what I did. I went to OverTheCap.com and I pulled up a chart, essentially looking at who the highest-paid four-three defensive tackles in football are. This is what I came up with. Marcel Darius is the fourth highest paid 4-3 defensive tackle. That's behind Indomitian Sue of the Dolphins, Fletcher Cox of the Eagles, Gerald McCoy of the Buccaneers, and right behind him are Kawan Short of the Panthers and Malik Jackson of the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. Only two of the top 14 defensive tackles in the NFL from a pace scale are set to be free agents this upcoming season. So there's, it's not like there's a whole lot of range. You know how like with wide receivers, there's always free agent wide receivers because any team could have six or seven of them. Right. There's only a hand. There's only so many four three defenses, and there's only so many really good defensive quality tackles. guys who are coming up as free agents. Right. I think I think the thing you the, where you get into trouble with that is why are you you know using all of all of this money or all, all spending all your chips on Marcel Darius when you really at the time you were had so much uncertainty at the quarterback position mm-hmm. it's like oh, well let's, let's play a defensive tackle let's keep a defensive tackle around who really they, I, I believe they have an over 500 record without him in the lineup yep so it really doesn't I, I get why it's, it doesn't really make much sense and I get why you wouldn't why it, I, I don't think it's a good idea to pay a defensive tackle all that kind of money because I mean people are laughing at the Dolphins did they make the playoffs last year sure I guess, but they got crushed in the, you know, and I, honestly, and that's sort of the model the Bills have been using. At least that's what I thought about with Whaley is like, I just need to get into the playoffs. This will secure my job for a long time or mm-hmm. whatever, which he never did. And basically like what the Dolphins did, they pay a defensive tackle, like an absurd $114 million. You want to talk about the value? And they just sneak in the num- playoffs and get killed. That's I'll run point. the numbers for you yeah. because I crunched them. If you take the top four defensive tackles, Dominican Sue, Fletcher Cox, Gerald McCoy, and Marcel Darius, each one of them is making over $15 million per season. Real money. Real money. Mm-hmm. And their cap hits are range, but they're up there. None of the top four earning defensive tackles in football have more than two and a half sacks. No defensive tackle in the NFL has more than four sacks. The combined cost of each one of the sacks from the top four guys is $8 million per sack right now. And it's $2 million per tackle made by each one of these four defensive tackles. I think you could probably apply that to defensive ends. That's incredibly poor value for what you're paying for. I understand this idea of you have to pay somebody, but this Rush Rush fan may be onto something here. But I don't think it's necessarily Marcel Darius' fault. And that's what I, I, I want to dig into is everyone says, oh, Darius, he's another Hainsworth. Of course it's not his fault. It's not, they didn't, he didn't offer himself that contract. Yeah, Doug Whaley put paid, it on his desk. They paid him. He was playing at a certain level. You paid him a certain amount of money. Knowing the, knowing the behind-the-scenes things, the issues he was having, you see this guy every day. Mm-hmm. So you know what he's going through. You signed him to that deal. If you offered me $100 million to do a job that maybe I didn't feel like doing anymore or maybe I couldn't do, I'm still taking the money. Absolutely. Because the worst thing you can do is fire me. Dude, I'm looking at your graph that yeah. you have with all these tack- with the top 14 tackles. Top 14 tackles. And I'm looking, I'm, just because of the colors that stand out, I'm looking at the teams. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of these teams have are really, like, Destined for playoffs no. this year. And Outside of Philadelphia. And that's my point. 
is that when you sink all this money into the defensive tackle position, it's not just Marcel Darius' fault that he can't live up to his contract. There isn't a defensive tackle on earth that can live up to a $114 million contract. Yeah, because that's the that. nature of being a defensive tackle. You're there to – when you're Marcel Darius, and I watch these games, and I watch him get double teamed on every single play, Mar- Kyle Williams is an impactful player. Do you want to know why? Because he never sees a double team. Because they can't. They roll everything Darius's way to take him out of plays. So now you have a guy who's one sack on the season. His one sack cost you a ton of money. But that's what you're signing up for when you pay a defensive tackle like that. You look at the Panthers. Kawan Short is the number six paid defensive tackle in the NFL. He plays next to impending free agent Star Lodalele. Mm-hmm. Star Lodalele has no sacks this year and has five tackles. But that guy is a mauler. And teams have to double team him, which is why Kawan Short has four sacks. And that's you, why he'll get paid. And that is why he'll get paid. Because of the sack numbers, because of the tackle numbers, the pressures. Quan Short's already been paid. But Star Lodalele, huh. he's going to get paid too because he's that double team guy. But it's a poor investment for whoever makes it because you're never really truly going to see your money back on that. You won't. No, I'd agree. You can't. I, I, would, I would agree with that. You're better off it, drafting well at that position. From, I guess I could see the argument if... Okay, like okay, the Panthers they have Cam Newton in place. Like okay, let's say let's take the Eagles for example. They just gave Fletcher Cox at like one hundred and two million dollars. They know that Carson Wentz's contract isn't coming up for like five years because he's on a rookie deal, and they control him for that long. So if you want to be like, hey, we can be good because Carson Wentz is good, maybe we should pay Fletcher Cox because we can keep him around and our defense can be good then. And like, it's true. That makes sense to me. Pick your spots. Right. Pick, exactly. Pick, know how to pick your spots. And signing Darius to that contract probably When you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't make yeah, any sense. when you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't make and any again, sense. And again, that's not Marcel Darius's fault. It's not an indictment on Marcel exactly. Darius. He is still a good player. Like, has he looked disinterested at times? Maybe you could make that argument. I'd listen to that <laughs> point. But, like, it, I mean, in this defense, in this McDermott defense, he, he is what he is. He's 111th of the defense. I've heard that, com- yep. you know, just that you got comparison made. All season long. That's what he is. They're rotational players. They're all rotational players. Exactly. On that defensive line. With McDermott, every defensive lineman is rotational. I, 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 I'm going to make – I would argue that if – okay, I'll just make a point about Jerry Hughes. Is Jerry Hughes worth it? I, worth the contract? I like Jerry Hughes. He's, I think he's a very effective defensive end. But, like, if you're going to make that point about Darius, you could make the same point about Jerry Hughes. What, yep. what is he giving <clears> – <throat> okay, he hasn't done it in a while, but, like, let's just say two years ago, if Jerry Hughes gets you 10 sacks – for a, a total of 75 yards lost, yep. but five personal foul penalties for 75 exactly. yards. Exactly. What is he giving you? Exactly. What, why are you paying him? The value is... So So what it comes down to is for the, all the people who are out there bashing Darius, I know I'm a defender of his, but this isn't even about him as a person or him as a player. This is about the economics of the position. Right. No defensive tackle in a 4-3 scheme will ever live up to that right. contract. He's not, so, he's not killing their cap right now, so I don't really fault. care. I'm glad he's on the team. I think I guess I'd rather have him on the team than not have him on the team. Exactly. But if he became a, a if his salary cap number became a problem for them, he would be the first guy. First guy off the bus. Exactly. <laughs> now, folks, we're going to switch gears here. As always, I'm reviewing a different beer every week. This week, it's Founders Dirty Bastard Scotch Ale. Fantastic, Chris. I it all stems from August when I went to see Joe List in Rochester, and the bartender was like, here, you should probably try Jenny Scotch Ale on tap, which is way better on tap than it is in the goddamn bottle, because 
you've reviewed that. Yep. You've, you've reviewed Magic Hat Scotch. This is your third Scotch Ale this season. Hopefully I can find one that isn't garbage. You like the Magic Hat <laughs> a little bit. Hey, it tastes, by the end of it, it tastes like motor oil. So, moving on. When you think about the Buffalo Bills and who we are as a team moving on to the season, we're 3-1. and one. We've been touted as one of the surprises of the season so far. A pair of big wins that really kind of shocked everybody at the time when they occurred. And there's been a lot of talk on WGR about whether the 4-2 and two starts of previous seasons, how they compare to this season. I just... I don't know. It's it's caused. I mean, when we beat the Falcons, that's the moment that every after beating the Broncos at home, everyone stood up and said, "This is a Bills team that needs to be taken seriously." No. Well, this is the thing. The debate has gone around and around and around over whether this start is more meaningful than any of our other starts. And the Jets and the Panthers have both performed at a much higher level than when they faced us. You know, we lost by what should a, a touchdown. A touchdown would have won that Panthers game. And, and we had it. And we easily controlled the Jets for that entire game. I was not really that worried. Both of those teams have gotten better since we played them. On the other hand, the two quote-unquote statement wins of our season, they're starting to feel a little hollow to me when I look at them. I mean, first and foremost, I'm going to take a sip of this beer. Oh, it's a bit heavy. It's a bit heavy for a even even a founder's beer. Jesus, like oh, it, it's an oppressive beer. If, if there was an adjective I could use for it, it's called oppressive. There was a grimace on your face after, after you sucked that down. It's got a it's got a burnt taste to it, almost as if like you took. It's almost like when you leave bread in the oven for too long, but you try to eat like the burnt part anyway. That's what I'm getting. It'll off still taste beer. good. It'll still be good. I'll just eat this. <laughs> Oh, the second sip wasn't much better, and it's just flat on my tongue. There's no carbonation to it. It's like drinking maple syrup that's been burned. (laughs) (laughs) So on to the Falcons. You start with the Falcons. They lose to the Patriots 23-7 this Sunday. Coming off a loss at home to the Dolphins 20-17. I've always thought they'd have a Super Bowl hangover. Okay, well, let's count this down. In their last three games... The Falcons have allowed 139 rushing yards per game. They haven't scored more than 17 points and are allowing at least 21. They're losing the turnover margin by a 4-1 to basis. That's going to happen when you have an alcoholic as your OC. <laughs> you leave Sarkeesian alone. He's paid his dues. Then you look at Denver. Denver just got blanked by the Chargers 21-0. Fresh off a loss to the Giants 23-10. In those two games, they allowed 114 yards rushing per game. That's pathetic when you put the Giants in a category of a team that rushed for 100 yards on you. They've been outscored 44-10. They're losing the turnover margin 6-0. They've had 185 yards passing on offense or less in three of their last six games. That might be true for the Bills, too. (laughs) I don't have that stat handy, but that might be true for the Bills, too. I mean, maybe it's a fluke. But is it possible that maybe these teams just aren't as good as everyone thought they would be coming into the season? Is it possible? I'm just going to say, I'm going to use Atlanta as the point here. 
Because Atlanta was 3-0 and when the Bills played them. Yep. And, I mean, if you look at it, Atlanta might be even lucky at this point to be 3-3. Three and three. Are they 3-3? Are 3-3. They, three three? Three three. they might be lucky because, honestly, Jordan Howard dropped what could have been the game-winning touchdown against them in week one. They, they should have lost to the Bears. They almost lost to the Mike Lennon Bears. And then there was that Golden Tate play against the Lions where he gets ruled down and they run the 10 seconds off and, and the yep. Lions don't get in their play. They were safe. So they could have lost that. They could easily be 1-5. and five. Yep. So, I mean, that's one way to look at it, but they were 3-0 and when they played the Bills. And maybe, maybe the Bills' defense sort of put it out there like this is how you play against the Falcons. <laughs> is that possible? It's possible. I will, I will, I'm willing to give you that. It, it could be a thing, right? I mean, they beat them. They beat them. I mean, I guess I just don't know. In how Atlanta, to, I guess my thing is, I just don't know how to feel at this point in the season. I'm a f- I'm at four and two, and people, everyone's like, Drew, aren't you excited? I come into work, and everyone's like, Oh, Drew, aren't you excited? No, no, I'm not excited. Well, you can't be excited yet because of how <laughs> the last seventeen years have gone. I give myself a stomach ache probably about forty five minutes before kickoff. I'm every right. single Sunday that I'm at the stadium. Oh, see, because I'm, I'm the opposite. Oh dude, I'm cu- I'm waiting in line to scan my ticket. And even though I'm a house of fire, I'm yelling, I'm fist pumping, I'm high fiving people, in the back of my head, there's this creeping fear that starts to sink in. And it, it seems to dissipate once I get to my seats. But that walk to my seats, I don't walk, I run. Because I need to see it. I need to be yeah. there and see the field, see the players, because I get anxiety. I don't know what anxiety I didn't know what anxiety was until the day I proposed to my fiance. I didn't know what anxiety was. There was a tightness in my chest. I was nervous. I was pacing around the house. Now that I know what to call that feeling, I have that on Sundays before <laughs> kickoff. And it, it drives me insane. I don't know how to handle it and Everyone's like, oh, four and two. You should be super pumped. Our team's doing so well. No. No, I disagree. I'm terrified. I'm terrified every Sunday. I say, I'm going to say it every week. I'm not convinced until there's no, 10 I'm, wins. I'm not convinced that we've really gotten blame, over that home. I don't blame you for being like that. I mean, like, <laughs> just look at, like, we've been five and one before. We've been Thank five you. and two before. We could be like, nine. We were, we were four and two and, last and for, year. And for everyone who's listening to this, I'm not trying to discount the process. I do think that McDermott is doing something that no coach over the last three coaching changes has been able to do, which is culture change. I'm confident that he's a good coach. He's. He, I'm, I'm not, not going to say that I know his he's. Style. I'm confident. Yeah. Now, that may be the only thing I'm confident in because when people say, "Oh no, I'm confident we're a good team." <gasps> Oh, you're asking to get kicked in the balls. You are asking. It's like you're standing bow-legged just daring someone to boot you in the sack. See, you're, I have the reverse of your anxiety. <laughs> right now, I, like, I'm sitting here uh, you know, in the middle of the week, and I'm like, the Bills, got the Bills are going to be, I don't know about up against it. They're favored against the Raiders on Sunday, but I, I think they're still kind of up against it. I don't think the Bills are the kind of team that's blowing anybody out by any means. Oh, no. So, I said it last week on our show, ugly. Right. It's going to be the theme of the season. But by the time Sunday rolls around and I walk through in, into that stadium and out the tunnel, I'm like, there's just, I'm like, there's just no way we're losing. There's just <laughs> no way. It happens to me against New England, too. There's just no way. It's just, I don't know why. I call it, you know, whatever. Did, did you have blind that, optimism? Or did you have denial. that enthusiasm when you came through the tunnel on Sunday? Absolutely, I had that enthusiasm. <laughs> when I came well, it the, turns out you were Why right. would they lose? Folks, that brings us to our weekly recap. Week seven. Buffalo Bills 30, Buccaneers 27. Fourth win ever against Tampa. (laughs) I will give you my statistics of the game. Buffalo, 10 of 16 on third down. 
62.5%, which is our highest margin of the entire season. Buffalo Bills defense, five tackles for a loss, one sack. Zay Jones, nine targets, two receptions, 17 yards. LaShawn McCoy, seven targets, five receptions, 31 yards. Rushing totals, Buffalo, 173, good for 5.2 yards per carry. Tampa Bay, 69, 2.76 per carry. Um, we, shouldn't point, the, we should point out that you pointed out last week, we should be able to run the ball against Tampa. And then the quarterback comparison. Tyrod Taylor, 20-33, good for 60.6%, one touchdown, no picks. But the key here is 45.4% on deep passes. 142 yards and a touch. That element's really been missing from the game Winston, most of the time. Oh, yeah. Winston, 32-44 for 72.7% completion percentage. Three touchdowns, one pick, but only 37.5 on deep passes. That's that's the story Didn't of the game. Didn't he throw for I mean, like over he was, 400? He was good. Guys, 370 I think he went for. Before we can even really get into discussing this game, it's better to hear it in the words of Kyle Williams from BuffaloBills.com. Hey, man. Can't overstate it. Oh, no. Man, I love you guys, bro. Gotta get me choked up, man. I love playing with you. You got in your neck. Stuff you got in your belly, man. Love it. I love it. Let's keep grinding. Keep working. There's a hell of a lot to correct, right? A hell of a lot. Let's do it. I know you'll tackle the day and we'll get to work now. Let's keep climbing. Let's keep standing. Let's keep building. Bill's on three. One, two, three. That is in the post-game huddle, and there's a reason that Kai Williams is the he's the heart and soul. I hope he never retires. I know. I can't why, imagine a team. Why would he coming. retire? He's still good. He's it's just I wouldn't be surprised if the last episode that you were on, episode 10, we mentioned that, hey, next season he could be cut. <laughs> he could be that guy. Cap we've, uh, we've talked about that before. Man. I don't I'll, ever want him to leave. I, I don't ever want him to go. No. It'll be it'll be it'll be a sad it'll be a dark day here for the Rockpile Report when Kyle Williams. You know what though? This is, I don't mean to switch this on you, Kyle Williams. Don't want him to go, but I need to know why you left the game. On okay, Sunday. folks. So so for those of you who don't know, I know I've talked to a lot of my friends about this before. Our listeners, I left Sunday's game prior to the big forty-four yard Deontay Thompson pass. Prior to the game-tying touchdown and the game-winning field goal. I watched the game-winning field goal from a 60-inch TV in the parking lot with an RV with a bunch of people I know who tailgate with me over in the the, uh, the mud lot right off Big Tree Road. Oh, boy. It's, tough to talk. it's even tough to talk about now because I still can't stomach the fact that I left early. Well, you do it at least – you have to do this at least once a season. But this was my first. But my this, first game. But, but this I went to with you against. I went. Johnny Manziel came in for Cleveland. He left that game at halftime. No, oh, yeah, because I wasn't sitting through another six-three Cleveland game. That's what I thought it was going to be, and I was like, I've seen this once live before. I'm not doing it again. And then he leaves. Jerry Hughes strip sack. See you later. But this six. was different. This was one of those things. Now, a lot of people may look back. I mean, if you those of you who follow sports news remember, there was an assault recorded in the stands at a Carolina Panthers game mm-hmm. about two weeks ago, right. where a 26-year-old man punched out a 62-year-old man, and obviously he's been charged. There's multiple, there's misdemeanors and felonies flying around like crazy. 
But since that day, I've been asking, and I've, the conversation started in my head. What would it take to get you to fight somebody at a football game? Because I can't understand it. You're there to watch the game. And everyone's there for the same thing, right? And even if you're not, even if you're an away fan, you're there to see the game. You're there to root for your team. And even if someone's belligerent, there is, there's no number of words that can hurt my feelings. I don't have any. I don't take myself that seriously enough to let something that someone says to me get me amped up to that point. So I've never been able to wrap my head around what it would take to start a fist fight at a sporting event. Until Sunday. <laughs> I'm so intrigued. Now, I'm sitting in the stands. I'm frustrated by the game. It's hot. I've been wearing this luchador mask for the, basically the majority of the game. I took it off at halftime. That's about it. I'm sweating my ass off under this thing. I'm frustrated by what I'm seeing on the field. These two Tampa Bay Buccaneers fans, probably 25, 26, sitting behind me. They were cool guys at the start of the game. Me and my buddies were joking around with them. We were all having a good time. Every time they left their seats, they would come back with two more beers. Not not two more beers between the two of them. Two more beers per person. By the fourth quarter, they were belligerent drunk. Leaning over, grabbing me and my friends by the back of the... Just leaning into my face to, to just yell things about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and about how the Bills sucked. And even to that point, I was okay. I was fine. And then the kid spit on me. And when spit came out of his mouth and hit me in this, like, luckily I had the mask on. The mask is on, yes. But he hit me in the face and I saw red. And I cussed loudly for about, I'd give it 20 seconds, 30 seconds. And it was one of those moments where like you, all of a sudden just, just like a moment of clarity hits you. And I look around and I realize I'm sitting directly behind a 10-year-old, maybe a 14-year-old, the guy, the mother and father. As much as I would have loved, oh my God, there was a day when Drew Gear probably would have just thrown hands, just turned these kids into paste. And right that they day was on Saturday. <laughs> just turned these kids into paste. But I realized... What am I doing? I'm about to blow up at these kids. I'm going to cuss them out. I'm going to say some of the most terrible stuff that anyone's ever heard. And I'm going to say it in front of this kid, this 10-year-old kid who's sitting here, and he's who knows if he's ever been to a football game before. Right. I wouldn't like it if someone did it in front of my kids. I, I can't bring myself. I can't debase myself. It like could have that. spiraled out of control, and like yep. you might have ended up. It would have just not been good for you. I pulled my jersey over yeah. my head, and I stormed off. And my friends were like, Drew, where are you going? And I was like, I'm out of here. I got to go. I will tell you now that I now know what it looks like to be in that moment. But even in that moment, having been drinking in the morning and having been you know, frustrated by the game and by the guys around me, I still don't grasp what it is that causes people to resort to violence in the stands. But I will say that I needed to leave. So I left the stadium. You needed to separate yourself I from went these back, two hooligans. I, I, went back to my, I went back to my truck. And in my lot, there's a group of old timers. <laughs> if they're listening right now, guys, you guys are the best. They're probably in their late late forties, early fifties. They have RVs, and they had a big, big forty inch TV, fifty inch TV out there. Beers, food. I ate a burger and I drank beer and I watched the end of the game with Bills fans. At the end of the day, everything worked out. 
But it was just one of those moments that I've never been faced with before sitting in that section. Okay. Uh, that's, that's a reasonable reason to me. I, w- I was afraid you were like... Even talking about the bills are pressure. The Bills are down seven with four minutes to go, and Tyrod Taylor's the quarterback, so I'm out of here. I was nope. so afraid of that. And, no. I, and it just doesn't sound like you, so... <laughs> I'm glad that that's not how that story went. Ah, so, folks, I'm sorry I bored you with my uh, almost fight story. But in all honesty, if you're out there in the stands, please just be good to one another. I mean, come on. We're all here for the same thing, which is to enjoy the sport. And if you're not there for it, then don't come. Drew, I, I know you don't mean that. I've seen some Bills, some things at Bills games. Are, they're definitely not there for the sport. Yeah, well, some of those people but. can suck my ass. We're going to talk about that <laughs> later, too. So one of the first things I want to talk about when we're recapping the football game. Our thinning secondary is making plays, but there are cracks showing in our defense. Okay, We entered this weekend as the league's number one scoring defense. We've only allowed two passing touchdowns all season, and we came in with 74 total points allowed. Now we're third in passing touchdowns, second in total points at 101, and we plummeted down the rankings to 17th in passing yards allowed. That's a, that's a way to fall. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, Jameis Winston, give him a little bit of credit, threw for 370 yards. Didn't look like he had a bum shoulder at all. No. You know what's interesting to me, and I, I noticed this while I was watching him, he doesn't run. No. I, 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 he it, doesn't use his legs. Right. He's trying to be he a can, pocket He can move in the pocket, but he, he didn't really get sacked. He got hit. No. You know, Ryan Davis he got him one time. How, he knows how to slide away from pressure. Right. And, but he's, he's learned since college that running doesn't win many football games. It, to be a quarterback, you got to stand in the pocket and, and make keep, those tough keep plays alive. And he did that. He does definitely yep. does that. They they knew where to attack the Bills. It was I, I noticed it down the seam a lot. You know, Matt Milano, who we're going to talk about later, read one to Cameron Brait and, yep. and got a pick. Poyer read one in the end zone and defended Brait there. But like, I mean, they found the holes. They that's for sure. Found a lot of holes in our defense. And considering the slate of quarterbacks that we're going to face over the course of the next couple weeks, starting next week, elite. Derek Carr. Oh, you shut your I mouth. I can't wait He's to get to that in a minute. <laughs> what, I, what I know is that you look at who we're going to face, these vulnerabilities in our defense are being exposed now just feel like terrible timing to me. This is what gives me that bad feeling in my, the pit of my stomach when I'm walking into a football game. I, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can point at as far as what might be driving it. I mean, whether it's injury whether it's an improvement of the quality of the quarterback and wide receivers we faced. But controlling that aspect of our opponent's attack is going to be paramount to whether or not we win football games from here on out. I, I look at I, – I mean, I definitely see your point. Don't get me wrong. I just don't see why it's like, okay, well, people can see, oh, this is what the Bills are doing. This is how you attack the Bills. It's not like the Bills are like, well, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to change anything at all. Like the Bills could see that on film too. And make adjustments of their own. Okay. You make adjustments, but here's the thing, again, here's the thing that scares me about all this. Perfect example. We came into this game knowing that they had size and physicality at the receiving positions. O.J. Howard has been grossly underutilized by the, by the Buccaneers to this point this season. But they knew that we would have a hard time defending multiple receivers from the tight end position on both sides of the line. So... The thing that scares me is that you look at O.J. Howard's stat line. He caught six balls for 98 yards and two touchdowns. When you go over, you go to NFL.com and look at the next-gen stats chart, and it will show you how many of the, you know, show you the routes he ran, mm-hmm. 
where he caught the ball, and how many of his yards were derived after after the catch. Uh, less than half of O.J. Howard's yardage came after he had the ball in his hands. The reason that's terrifying to me is because this is a defense that's predicated on keeping the ball in front of you. Keep the ball in front of you, don't let guys get behind you, and tackle well. Well, guys are finding their way behind us now. I mean, to hear... I mean, here's Lorenzo Alexander offering something close to an explanation on what he thought occurred. They tried. They up-templed us in the first half, went a lot of nickel personnel in the second half, then went to base, and just exploited some of our, uh, just our tendencies, especially when we play quarters, and got me a couple of times on some of the big plays that we're not accustomed to giving up. Uh, so those are things that we're going to have to, you know, I'm, well, I'm going to have to work on as far as playing with a little bit more depth, a little bit better eyes to help out and uh, correct those things. Lorenzo Alexander, BuffaloBills.com. He did his. He was at fault at that first uh, touchdown for OJ Howard. I, the second, I believe, or, it was the second one was it? the second one was the long one where he was just okay. wide open. The yeah, first that, one that's was, the one he took the fall for, didn't it? No, I, well, no. In the in the first one, you could see a replay where OJ Howard just same design as the second one. He just sneaks across that all the way across that line, mm-hmm. and then into the flat, and then you see Lorax. Oh shit, that's my guy. It's too late. Touchdown, Bucks. I just. This is the thing. When he says they need to play with more depth, he's not kidding. We got abused by both of their tight ends. I mean, neither one of them. I mean, OJ Howard had a ridiculous stat line. Brayton didn't get away with as much, but that's because we game planned for Brayton and they threw Howard at us. We weren't expecting that. They did take advantage of a lot of things that they saw on film. They exploited Lorenzo Alexander in, in deep pass coverage, knowing that he couldn't hold up with O.J. Howard. Now, t- tight ends versus linebackers are always going to be a tough matchup. And very few teams have a tandem of guys like that. But it's a development that we need to pay attention to. I mean, we have to. Especially if teams are now using our injuries and just what we've put on tape as far as what we're capable of and are now going to finally start using that against us. I suppose so. It, it, I look at it. I mean, they only allowed 13 points for three quarters. It was 17-13 after the third quarter. I know they allowed two touchdowns. One was a completely blown coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, I know, I know. Jameis Wilson still threw for 370, which is an alarmingly huge number, um, especially if he's supposedly injured. I'm sure he got a nice little shot. Oh, the I'm game sure he got the shot, and he's good. But you know, whatever. That, that's neither here nor there. I would agree. They they lost matchups all over the field. Tre'Davious White lost them. Uh, EJ Gaines, when he was in the game, lost him there. The, the line, I, I think it was the linebackers mostly. Um, but, I mean, they were still out there making plays. I mean, Milano got the interception. Uh, you know, Trey White with the, the late fumble thing. Um, Micah Hyde had an interception, let's be real. <laughs> like, had it. it. And Mike Evans with a good two-handed shove to the ground knocked it loose. Like, I, I was still encouraged by what I saw because I would have called it I, I was just thinking this when it was twenty-seven twenty, and you're thinking, "Well, it looks like they're going to lose this game." I'm thinking, like, this is on everybody because yeah. the offense had that stupid thing at the end of the first half, which McDermott yep. took. McDermott you know, took the fault for. We're going to talk. They about missed that. a field goal. Shady fumbled. Like I said, the def- defense was losing matchups all over the place. Like it was just about. It just seemed like as much of a team loss as it as it got, and they ended up still winning the game despite getting hung for three hundred and seventy passing yards against. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, what's the old adage? Good teams find ways to win games. Like, are, are the Bills good? They found a way to win. 
I don't know, but like you, you didn't have your best stuff on defense. You didn't really necessarily have your best stuff on offense. You've had a better game than you've had the past couple weeks, that's for sure. But you scored 30 points, you won the game. I mean, we can, we can sit here and I mean, nitpick it all you want, right. but they're 4-2. and two. A W is a W. And, I, I mean, I guess that's the, the takeaway here. When we were talking about our secondary, our coverage from linebackers to defensive backs, they're still opportunistic. And that's enough to turn the tide in most games. And it's going to keep us in most games right up until the bitter end. And speaking of the bitter end, I have now finished this Founders beer. And I will tell you, you want to talk about a bitter end. Folks, I drink these things so that you don't have to. Okay, I'm abusing my liver so that hopefully you don't waste any of yours on whatever the hell it is that they bottled here. If I had to give it a solid critique, it tastes like you took – it's very bitter. It's super malty, and it doesn't taste good in the front or the back. It doesn't finish clean. It has the consistency of motor oil, and I don't know. It just – there's no payoff. There's no payoff at the end. Of it. Can you rank it among the other two Scotch ales you've had, the Jenny Scotch Ale and the Magic Hat Scotch Ale? I would rather drink a Jenny Cream Ale out of one of my grandfather's work boots than drink another one of these Founders Ales. God, that's terrible. You know who's not terrible? Matt Mulatto. You know what is terrible? Your fucking draft analysis. <laughs> You hated Matt Milano. I hated Matt Milano. I will tell you, he has been one of the bright spots over the last two weeks for me when it comes to watching this football team. I, I, I'm eating a huge helping of crow. There's not enough hot sauce in the world to wash it down. He has been invaluable. I mean, I haven't noticed. That, I mean, I, I know that Humber was very good. He was leading the team in tackles. Mm-hmm. He's very good in run support. Milano, though, shows a little more aptitude. I'd almost say, in pass coverage than Humber did. Which is saying something, considering yeah. Humber might have been our best coverage linebacker. Greg, well, uh, Greg, what do, you, uh, what do you do when Humber is back? Do you fix that? Oh, Milano, you're back to riding pine. We're going to throw Humber back in, or is it... It's not broken. Let's not... Okay, well, we don't need I, to fix it. Well, here you go. Here's a couple ways of looking at it, I guess. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, like, two minutes ago, before you finished that disgusting beer... You were complaining about how bad the pass defense was and how they were out of place and how there were guys getting open down the seam and whatnot. Playing both. So what do you do? I mean, the Bills' pass defense was better in the first three games, wouldn't we agree, when, mm-hmm. when Ramon Humber was in the lineup? Yep. Since then, it's been, you know, Andy Dalton just basically torching the Bills. Mm-hmm. Or A.J. Green basically torching the Bills. But, like, Andy Dalton had a pretty good day. And now Jameis Winston throwing for 370 like it's nothing, you know. I, yep. I, there's, just, there's a couple ways to look at it there. I mean, ultimately, I think that he's coming on huge for our team right now. We we owe him a ton. I'm not going to say he's playing poorly. I think he's playing really well. I mean, a pick, which he completely baited the quarterback into throwing to. You read it like a book. He's, a, yeah. he's a former safety, so I expect him to have that kind of coverage ability. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that as a rookie, you can step in and bait a quarterback into throwing that ball. You made him think that you weren't on your man until you were on it. And I, I think that's Winston's favorite play, too. Oh, that, that it seam might route. Well, I mean, he's got Evans, obviously. But that seam route to break, they try it in the end zone, in the red zone all the time. And they're, they're trying it there, and Milano kind of, like you said, just baited them into it. I mean, the way I look at it is that his presence is going to have, when Humber comes back, it's going to give them some flexibility roster-wise to really kind of pick, pick and choose their formations. 
whether they want to go nickel, whether they want to go base, it's going to give them more options. Which, I mean, this injury, I never want to call an injury in sports a good thing, but at least now we get to find out what we have in Matt Milano, which is encouraging. On the other side of the ball, LaShawn McCoy. I said that this was going to be LaShawn McCoy's game to win, and if he took if he took advantage, we were going to win this football game. Now, it came to fruition, but one of the things that I like is the fact that in the passing game, it was 31 yards receiving. But those 31 yards, three of them were for first downs. That's important. You move the change. You keep the ball moving. LaShawn McCoy really was, I mean, he excelled in this game, but I he didn't do it alone. The offensive line really stepped up at some points during this football game. I mean, they kept Tyrod Taylor outside of the times when he rolled into pressure by himself. They kept him pretty much clean. I would say is it, it, it's kind of amazing how different the offense is and that this is, I know we're going to talk about Tyrod in a little bit. When Tyrod is running the ball, LaShawn McCoy can run the ball and yep. Tyrod Taylor can pass the ball. It's just all working when Tyrod is getting out of the pocket. It, it sells the play action more. It, it, McCoy sells the play action on his own. The fact that Tyrod can run double sells the play action, which they don't, and they don't overuse it either. So it's not like a constant thing. Yep. So, it, I mean, like you said, McCoy, 122 total yards. That should be the norm for him. Exactly. And this is going to be, we have faced some of the better defenses in football this season. I expect McCoy. Three of the top to, five. I expect McCoy to get better as the season goes on start producing more, which is going to open up more things for our offense. Like Deontay Thompson. Deontay Thompson shined. Zay Jones, he caught some shade. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to do about this. I've got a guy who wasn't on this roster last week. We signed him this week. Four targets, four receptions, 104 yards. I've got a guy who's been on our team since training camp. Two receptions, 17 yards. Nine targets. Yeah, you got a sarcastic applause to it first time he caught the ball. I just, I, well, and I'm part of that crowd. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm part of that crowd that doesn't understand. My, I guess my biggest, I don't know, that's, that's a pro, it could, you could look at it as a problem. Okay, I get that. I just mean, I, I personally don't have a problem with Zay Jones. I, I think he'll get over it. Uh, the thing with this is you expect him to catch the ball. You drafted him. <laughs> Remember when he got drafted? It was his like, thing was catching the ball. It was you caught three hundred and ninety nine passes in college. He wasn't. You a, had the quote unquote best hands in the draft. He wasn't the it burner. Was a problem. He didn't have size. He wasn't a burner. He had hands. That was supposed to be his forte. How long now do you we, give a guy like that? No, well, I'll tell you how long you give him. I was going to come on here to our podcast and flip out. I was going to rake this kid over the coals. And then I watched Monday Night Football last night, and I saw Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar is in his third season. Dropping everything He is in his third season. His first two years as a pro, he was essentially labeled a bust. He was a late first-round draft pick of the Eagles and essentially caught less than 50% of his targets. He had one to two touchdowns per year, couldn't get over that three, four-touchdown hump. He was benched for the second half of last season. And everyone assumed that coming into this year, he was cannon fodder. The guy's fucking gone. Instead, he's stepped up to be the most productive receiver on that team. He's catching everything they throw to him now. Scoring touchdowns. It's, it's, 
there's something to be said for seasoning for wide receivers, and I understand that. And so because it like that kind but of you don't get back, that it you brought me back to earth. You don't get that on Sundays. No, on Sundays I'm gonna have nine beers and yell at Zay Jones on the TV. But then on Mondays I'm gonna kind of decompress, and by Tuesday I'm gonna see things like a rational human being, which is why we record on Tuesday. Yeah, and by decompress, <laughs> decompress is another word for sober. Sober. <laughs> oh, I, I guess I, I mean Zay, when Zay Jones. Uh, the one the one thing that sticks out obviously is the Carolina play, which would have been a would have been a tremendous catch. So I don't know why he like if that is affecting him, he shouldn't let it because no. I mean I'm sure it is a little bit, but it was it was there. It didn't happen. It's not a big deal. They're still four and two. And the big drops that I can remember, like I mean he had one this past week. They won. He had one against the Falcons. That big deep throw. They still won. Like this guy is costing them yards if you want to put it that way. And they're still winning more often than they're not. So if this guy could just get his head right, which I, I completely have confidence that he will, and because I, I mean I watched him in the preseason, he looked like he could play. That was the one takeaway I had from the offense in the preseason because everyone was killing Tyrod Taylor, and everyone wanted that you know the Nathan Peterman everything. I don't mean to start that conversation. I know we're about to talk about the quarterback, <laughs> but you know I, I, the one takeaway I had from preseason on offense was that like Zay Jones looks like he can play. So I still think you're going to get that player out of him. I don't know when that's going to be. I just, you know, and because especially because of the way the offense is designed, not really to, you know, highlight the wide receivers because, let's face it, really hasn't almost ever with Tyrod Taylor. I know mm-hmm. Sammy's had, whenever, you know, a couple good games back then. But, like, Sammy, uh, just, just as an example, Sammy Watkins only had more than four catches in one game last year. I mean, he missed half the season. But he only had more than four catches one time, and it was against – uh, Miami, I believe. So, like, that just goes to show you, like, the wide receivers really aren't that highlight in this offense, but Zay Jones can still be a threat for them. Well, with throwing, throwing the ball, you have, I mean, Tyrod's got to throw the ball into an area, and then it becomes, okay, Zay, use your hands and catch catch the ball. It's like 50-50 thing. You know, I've, I've always talked about it with, like, the podcast, because on the podcast, because Quarterbacks, if you're really good, you can make a shitty receiver look good. Like somebody like Aaron Rodgers to a James Jones or Peyton Manning to an Austin right. Holly. You throw the ball, they're, Manning and Rodgers are accurate. Tyrod, just he's not as accurate as those guys. So it becomes throw the ball into their area and at least try to let them make a play. And so far, Zay, I don't think, has been making... The one concern I had with the one concerning play, I guess I would say, was I think they tried it against Cincinnati, and I was kind of like clamoring, like I don't know, just with my friends and whatnot, like just throw him a screen and let him let the ball hit him in the hands and let him catch it. And they did throw him a screen and he dropped it. So like those are the kind of things that are concerning to me. But at the same time, it's just like, I I don't get the sense of like people on Twitter just killing him. And I I know that you know when people are drinking and at the games like Drew. Yeah, they're gonna they're, gonna, they're yeah. gonna have some irrational reactions, but like to be like, oh, we need to just cut bait with this guy. It, it's just dumb. It's just stupid. No, I think I think of any position, you probably give receivers, you probably give receivers more time to 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 work this out. I mean, I mean, this is like one hell of a case of the yips that I have ever sure. seen in anybody. But like, look at like Amari Cooper leads the league in drops like for like the last two years. Are the Raiders gonna get rid of him? 
No, because on once in a while he can put up 200 yards receiving like he did last week, and they're going <laughs> to win a game. Hey, as uh, one of our listeners and uh, host of the Huddle TV show, Ryan Lacell, found out, I was dumb enough to leave Amari Cooper because I didn't pay attention to my fantasy team. Left Amari Cooper in the lineup, had Ezekiel Elliott. In a fantasy league with eight teams, he scored 176 points. Wow. And lost to me by 11 because I started Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott, who both had 51 and 52 points. In the that'll do it for you. <laughs> so, Ryan, that'll, that'll be the loss that I never let you forget about. Guys, you want to? Uh, there's a lot of talk about receivers, but ultimately, I want to round this out with a discussion about the quarterback. Why now, not? Before the end of the game, I took to Twitter. Okay, as I was leaving the stadium, I was on Twitter, just pronouncing my displeasure with Tyrod's performance, and found out that for every person who chimed in to tell me that I was an asshat or an idiot or didn't know what I was talking about or that I don't watch the game, I just drink beer. Like uh, our friend Bob's Uncle Pete, that guy could go to hell. I'd have at least two other people agreeing with me. I've always been there. I've never liked Tyrod. Well, this is the thing. Even in wins, our quarterback's performance is able to split the fan base. From casual fans to those of us who obsess over the team and everywhere in between, you're, it's getting harder and harder to find people who wholeheartedly agree on Taylor one way or the other. And you know where that you know where that is though, just here. That's just. I, I, here. I don't think there's anybody around the league who is like, yeah, Tyrod Taylor's a piss poor quarterback. I don't think anybody, any fan base would ever say that except here. And I don't know. I can't figure out for the life of me why that is. Even the I'll tell you why we're the most we're so critical of him, and I don't understand. Even the mainstream media is conflicted. I mean, this is what Colin Cowherd had to say on his show this week about it. Where Colin was wrong. When Buffalo committed a quarterback Tyron Taylor, I said, why? Tyrod Taylor's got one 300-yard passing game in his career, and that game was in overtime. But you know what, man? Buffalo's 4-2. Tyrod had a game-winning drive, a 97 passer rating. All year, he's got two interceptions. Here's the thing about Tyrod Taylor. He never makes the play to beat you. Now, he may not always make the play to win the game, but when I watch Tyrod Taylor in that defense, and I'm like, Buffalo knows what they are. You can win a lot of games with Tyrod Taylor. I don't think he's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but he's been way better, and Buffalo has been than my prediction. The Herd with Colin Coward on Fox Sports Radio. He mentioned right there, almost like right off the get-go, he had a game-winning drive. I mean, can I... The one that Trey White forced and recovered a fumble in field goal range, and then that one first down that they got was able to run the clock down to, what, 20 seconds when we kicked? Greg, you asked why people are so critical of Tyrod Taylor. Why Buffalo is so critical of Tyrod okay. Taylor. He's won more games than he's lost. Well, probably because Buffalo watches more football than the rest of the country when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. This is what I see, and these are the statistics that stand out to And I know statistics can lie. They can. This is what stands out to me when I think of Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback. He's 17th in total QBR. He's above some big names. You know, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, he's above Cam Newton. And everyone looks, likes to point at QBR. He's second in running QBR and 22nd in passing, which is the primary function of the position. He is 29th ranked in the NFL in passing yards at 1,178. 24th in completion percentage. 8th 
in sacks taken. Hey, how many of those sacks taken? Well, because he scrambles into pressure. Scrambles into pressure, he and he can just legs. throw it away. He has the legs, but he runs himself into trouble. He's 23rd in total touchdowns. He's 30th in interceptions. I'll give him that. He's only throwing. He's got seven touchdowns to two picks. Through he never turns the ball over. And mm-hmm. maybe I'm not. Maybe I should knock on something. But like he never even fumbles. It seems like he is 14th in the league in 20 plus yard passes. And he is 29th in the NFL in first down passes. 29th in passes for a first down. Now, I understand why people enjoy the fact that Tyrod Taylor can thrive in this offense. I wonder where he is on runs for a first down. <laughs> At least quarterback runs for a first down. Okay, well, I, I know I know the point you're about to make. Like, This is just this past Sunday. He was 9 for 12 on third down. I know. Throwing for 116 yards and a touchdown, I, I believe. And, and he converted two more with his legs. Like You can't... like. You can kill him right now. You can kill him, but you can't kill him for Sunday. I can't kill him for Sunday, but I can. They should have scored. They should have scored forty points on Sunday. They missed a field goal. They screwed up another field goal at the end of the half. But when he screws up, I reserve the right to bag on him for it. And when all of social media comes out against me, here's what I point at: He is by by far statistically a subpar quarterback. When when you're talking about just arm talent, throwing the ball, throwing the football, which is your job. Sure. If we wanted a runner, we would we would just run the wildcat. Here's what I look at. Everyone before this season, if I had said that Alex Smith is a mediocre quarterback, you would have agreed with me, right? He's 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 slightly above average. Absolutely. Uh, but on on the more mediocre side of that, top half. I would put him in top half. So top, okay, top sixteen. I, okay, yeah, top sure. sixteen. Top sixteen. I would give him that. He's an MVP candidate right now. Well, right now, yeah. yeah. He, no one could have seen this coming. Yeah. If you discount this season, here's what I see when I look at it. Now, this is according to Pro Football Reference, which if any of you guys don't know about it, it's like crack. Once you start looking, you won't be able to stop. It's got every stat ever that you ever want to compare you to anything just, else ever. Going you download back. them. You put them into Excel. You work yeah. out formulas. Maybe you don't do that because you don't have the sickness that I do. I just go back and look <laughs> at every single game and see if I remember every single touchdown. I don't know why. I just I can't stop. <laughs> so I'm looking at pro football reference, and I'm comparing side-by-side Alex Smith and Tyrod Taylor. Since becoming a starter, Alex Smith has averaged still more passing yards per season than Tyrod. He hangs right around 300 and yeah, 3,500, 3,500 passing yards. Everyone talks about Tyrod as, oh, well, he doesn't turn the ball over. Neither does Alex Smith. He has never had double-digit turnovers in a season. He hasn't. He has not had double-digit interceptions in a single season as a Kansas City Chief. He had, for the 49ers, yes. Okay, those were bad football teams. He has not had those picks since getting with the Chiefs. He's thrown better yardage than Tyrod. And he's mobile. He can run for first downs. He's scrambled for more first downs. But he would rather throw it. But he would rather throw it. He could, if he decided to play the game the way Tyrod played it, probably have better rushing statistics. But he chooses not to because he wants to play with his arm because he's a quarterback. I'm sorry. Alex Smith will never be, uh, although I shouldn't say that because this year he's playing like his hair's on fire because it's a contract year for him. 
But he's not going to the Hall of Famer. He's not going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. He's I don't even know that he's a multiple playoff winning game quarterback because he hasn't been to this point in his career. No. So I guess my thing is, if he's the guy that we all call average, then what the fuck is Tyrod Taylor? Don't come at me and somehow insinuate that I don't know football because I don't value what Tyrod brings to the Buffalo Bills. My thing with the – I don't get why the Bills and the Chiefs aren't the same team. <laughs> they should be. They're both – There's think about all the things that go into it. They have. They both have risk-averse quarterbacks and maybe maybe – you know, Tyrod Taylor and Alex Smith, they don't turn the ball over. They, they don't really take a lot of risks. Maybe you could make the argument that Alex Smith has been taking more risks this year, but he doesn't have any interceptions. No, he throws not. the ball. Maybe you could just say he throws the ball better than Tyrod, and I can't really tell you he doesn't. But they both have risk-averse quarterbacks. They can move the ball with their legs. Tyrod, maybe not as much with his arm. They have really good running backs, Kareem Hunt and LaShawn McCoy. They have Travis Kelsey and Charles Clay. They have not really that great wide receiver, but Ty- Tyreek Hill is good. Don't get me wrong. But, like, they were like, we don't even need Jeremy Macklin. We could just get rid of him. Yeah, we could get they rid have, of Macklin and like, still be one of the highest scoring offenses like, in football. Right. The Justin Houston, the Jerry Hughes, and like the, they're why are they, like they look like the same team? Why are they not? And maybe it, maybe it boils down the quarterback. Maybe that's that, that's your point. Maybe that's your point. I just don't get like an Andy Reid and Sean McDermott is a product. I think that's of, absolutely Sean, Sean McDermott is a product of Andy Reid though. Like, why are they not? Running the same plays, even. What I know is that I expect them to address this in the offseason, but I'm sorry. I know Tyrod is our guy. And I, I'm right not now, gonna, I'm not gonna for 10 more games, probably. Well, I will not bag on Tyrod for Sunday's performance. I was ripping him in the middle of the game, but you're right. He did hold it together. And you're right. Being a fan in the stands when you're watching a game, you see things, and that, that play sticks in your head as two more plays happen. Right. So yes, maybe I focus on the negative. I'll admit that. Here's you what you always focus on the negative. Like for me, how about when it comes down to this? Like Chiefs bill like Chiefs and the Bills, and you need your quarterback to throw thirty to thirty five times to win the game, I'll take Alex Smith. I don't yeah. I don't trust a Tyrod Taylor to throw well, thirty considering times. Considering I think this is like the what maybe the second. I don't even it might even be the first time. Tyrod's thrown more than 30 passes and, and he won, won the game. And won the game. I mean, he debunked this past. That's why you can't kill him for this past Sunday. <laughs> exactly. He debunked all, all of those things. He hadn't, like, he has, like, two comebacks of four more points. He did that. Like, with less than four minutes left, he really hasn't done that yet. The game-tying drive, he did it against Miami last year, but, like, he hardly ever does that. He attempted 30 passes. His name is Tyrod Taylor. I, and I, like, all I can say is that for they, all of you won. out there who want to beat me up on social media... Or the people who tell me, oh, you're unfollowed. I don't like this opinion. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't nobody, need... Nobody's don't making need, you follow anybody. I don't need your help. I don't need you to tell me that you like my ideas. If you do, great. We'll talk about them. We'll have civil discourse. If you don't, then don't listen to them. I don't know what else to tell Or you, you could just have an open <laughs> discussion about it. All right, so that brings us to this week's hero and zero of the game. Zero... I had no choice but to give it to Zay Jones. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. Zay, you got to catch more balls. That's all I can say. I mean, we beat that horse to death. All I can tell you is you got to find a way outside of this thing that's going on inside your head. Because I know you got the talent. And the hero of the week, cornerback Tredavious White. (laughs) I'm the greatest man in the world. If you had showed me tape of Trey White 
through six games this season and told me that he was a two or three year veteran. I believe it. I mean, isn't it amazing he got passed on twenty six times? You look at the way he's playing. Even when he struggles in coverage from play to play, he bounces right back, which is impressive when you consider that he's one of the most targeted cornerbacks right. in the AFC right now. Well, plus, he came from was it cornerback university, DBU, yeah, yeah. LSU. Like that's what I mean. Like he was a four year starter in the SEC. How does that guy? How is he 27th overall? No idea. I'm just understand. glad he's wearing a Bills jersey. Absolutely. And once again, he flashed playmaking ability that saved the team when it mattered. He's the reason that we're sitting here talking about a Bills win today. So, hey, Chris, cheers. Tredavious White. Yeah, I don't know about you, Greg, but for me, just right quick, uh, Thompson would be my hero of the game. For somebody to have over 100 yards receiving Join the on, team on, Tuesday. on four days yeah. of prep, Yep. He would be my... Well, he's played with Tyrod before. They, they were together in Baltimore a little bit, so they knew each other a little bit. Not that I would expect him to come in on a Tuesday <laughs> yeah. and have 100 yards on Sunday. It's just, for me, for me, that he's my... Yeah. I don't know if you have a hero, but that's that's my hero. You could almost Thompson. make the zero Kalen Clay. Like, dude, this guy, some dude just came in. <laughs> some dude came in some off dude the came in and stole did, your job. And stole your job in like four days and like did <laughs> four times the catches and four times the yards in, in a blink of an eye in oh, one game. Oh, my God. That's... You know what? I can get down with that. Yeah. Up top, Craig. So that brings us to this week's AFC East Roundup. Now, we're going to burn our way through this real quickly. In a battle to decide the basement of the AFC East, the Miami Dolphins played the New York Jets. Wait, we weren't a part of that? <laughs> we're usually a part of... <laughs> no, not, not in week uh, six. Yeah. Usually we're, we're hanging on to something. <laughs> to decide the basement of the AFC East, somehow the three and two Finns... Which still, I, I have a hard they're time saying. They're not good. Trust me, they're not good. I have a hard good. time saying the three and two Finns. Managed to pull out a win over the the three and two Jets, 31-28. The results were exactly what you ex- would expect out of two teams as bad as they are. Josh McCown throws an interception at uh, the end of the game and costs him the game. Upset fans, a sloppy game, two fan bases that both walked away from the games not feeling like winning. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. I, I, I'm just convinced. I'm sorry. I'm ne- I am never. I don't want to say never, but like for the past couple of years, I know the Dolphins swept the Bills last year. Don't care. I never go into a Dolphins game thinking like, "Wow, we have no shot." Like they're going to kill us today. Guys, listen to this. You you're talking about a football game where three different quarterbacks took snaps. That's right, three three quarterbacks took snaps, and all of them finished with a quarterback rating of over a hundred. What is that? Is there any fucking defense on either one of these teams? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you quarter- can't have a defense when you got Duran Lee. Each quarterback threw at least one pass of over 30 yards. The Dolphins allowed Josh McCown to personally account for four touchdowns, three passing, and one rushing. And the Jets gave up four passing touchdowns, two to Jay Cutler and two to Matt Moore. I'm sorry. It's just, I get it. Young players, you want to talk about all kinds of things. That game's a shit show. I feel bad for anybody who wasted their Sunday watching I, it. I, I mean... The Dolphins could beat the Bills in Week 15 and, and 17, and I, I don't care. They're still <laughs> not good. This just means maybe the Bills aren't good at that I'll tell point. you who the worst player on the field for either team was in a game that saw a lot of guys suck. Buster Screen, our friend, AFC East Bros podcaster, yeah. uh, Kyle Smith, his favorite person on earth. Buster Screen was the whipping boy. 
He let up seven catches for 117 yards, three touchdowns, and three penalties. That doesn't sound good. I would leave town. Justin Rogers-esque. I would would pack up my apartment before anyone knew that I was leaving, and I would just, I'd go, like the Hulk, just walking off into the distance with that slow, sad piano music. (laughs) You'd be like Gerald Talley when he played for Atlanta. Last just game of the season, yeah, he, had a U-Haul. he brought a U-Haul and all of his stuff. Hey man, we play those guys in like ten days, so I, not that I'm like worried about them losing, but like I don't know. Like that's what I, this is the point I try to bring up to people. Like it's football, man. Anything can happen. Like the Bills lost to the Bengals on the road. That, that's, that's football. Like they're four and two. The Bills are not going fourteen and two. No, News absolutely flash. not. They're going to lose at least at, le- at least three more games, probably five. Well, you want to talk about losing three more games? So here's Miami. They lose Jay Cutler to broken ribs. He's going to be out two to three weeks. Now, Matt Moore came in on short notice and won you a football game. Fantastic. There's a reason Matt Moore didn't get the starting job when Ryan Tannehill went down with an injury because Adam Gase doesn't trust him to quarterback that team to wins on a consistent basis. Well, he took him to the playoffs last year and look what happened. If he did, Jay Cutler wouldn't be there. Jay Cutler wouldn't be in Miami right now if that coach trusted Matt Moore. So... Or if With they didn't him pay him twelve million. Set to miss the next two to three weeks. You're talking about them playing the Ravens this Thursday, hosting the Raiders the following Sunday night, and then away again to play the Panthers. That stretch they're, could very well decide their season. They're coming back to Earth. Trust me. They're <laughs> not they're not good. And then the Jets, they're gonna be home against the Atlanta Falcons, who all of a sudden, as we said, don't look that threatening. In the other AFC East game, Patriots versus Falcons. In a rematch of last season's Super Bowl... You're the kidding. Pa- they didn't mention that at all on the broadcast. <laughs> they were in the Super Bowl last The Pats year? actually played like everyone expected them to. But now, here's the thing that worries me. The game was never in doubt. The Patriots controlled it the entire way. They did it with their rushing attack. That's what, that's what scares me. Because that's the way this team was built in the preseason. They went out and they brought in Mike Gillisley. They kept Deion Lewis. They kept... Uh, what is it? They brought in Rex Burkhead. Mm-hmm. They brought in a versatile stable of running backs, and they keep four running backs dressed for every game. Because their vision of this team was a team where Tom Brady wouldn't have to do all of the heavy lifting. That he would have a a stable of running backs that can all do different things, that are tough to prepare for. And they can hit you with fresh legs at any point in the game. Exactly. And they did that to the Falcons. And it worked to a T. I mean, what, three rushing touchdowns? Well, actually, two rushing touchdowns and a receiving touchdown to a running back. The running backs start in this game. That should put everybody on notice. I mean, four different running backs had multiple carries. 162 yards and 4.5 a carry. I mean, that's this is who they wanted to be. They and, wanted to take the load off Brady's shoulder. And they had a shutout going for 55 minutes, and their defense is supposed to be their downfall. I know. Stefan Gilmore didn't play. Maybe that's why. That's it. The defense rebounded after struggling out of the gate. When you consider it, I'm scared right now for what the AFC East is going to be because Why? the Patriots are doing they what they always They win it every do. year. They're going to win it this year. What's deal. there to be scared of? They do it every year. Just once I'd like to punch him in the mouth. <laughs> Just once I'd like to have a shot at these guys for the division. And you know what? Usually you, we give them a good game one time. Maybe we could in December. <laughs> maybe this December is the year. Said no one ever. Uh, well, this weekend the Patriots are going to play Los Angeles. Okay, Which one? The Chargers, right? The Rams. The Rams. They're, they have the Rams. At home. There's no way they play the Rams. We don't play the Rams. They wouldn't play the Rams. It's got to be the Chargers. It's got to be the Chargers. 
That'd be the Chargers. Jesus Christ. We don't play the Rams. I just saw LA and I'm like, Jesus Christ, why is LA all over? No, the Chargers. I know. Yeah. Now now yeah. it's weird. Now we have to talk about two of them sharing a stadium for the next what? Year, two they don't years, even want. They don't even want it. Until they who both cares? leave again. Yeah, who cares? <laughs> In any event, I assume that the Patriots will cruise through the next matchup and we'll be having the same conversation next week. Hopefully the Bills just cruise through theirs, too. That brings us to the Week 8 preview, the Oakland Raiders. Woo! Here's our info. Time, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Location, New Era Field. The weather? Terrible. Cloudy. Low 60s. Maybe some rain. The official. Motherfucking Ed Hockley. Hold <laughs> this man! The spread on this game is the Bills minus three, and the over-under is at 45. Chris, what do you think? Oakland by at least 10. Oakland by at least 10. What's that? This is the game script. Is this is, oh, no, this is a Seagram's bet. This is a Seagram's oh, bet. I say, I say Oak, I mean, our secondary is in shambles. They have Derek Carr, elite quarterback. Is he elite? The answer is yes. I don't know if he's elite. <laughs> um, thank you. Who cares what elite Amari Cooper, anyway. Michael Crabtree, hey Chris, a thin secondary. I will take the Bills minus three. Seagram's bad. And I, I'm saying you're, ten. Our, you're Greg, you're our witness. I, I'm, I'm saying we bad. They shook on it. Yeah, and last time we played Oakland, I won the Seagram's bet. So I'm going to win again. It's a guarantee. You were worried about the Seagram's for like three quarters, though, I bet. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. but... That brings us to this week's injury report. For the Buffalo Bills, it's nothing new. Ramon Humber, out. Charles Clay with a knee injury, out. EJ Gaines, he's the only real new addition to the injury report. We don't know. He'll be out. out. I hope they don't play. According to Chris, we're in shambles. Yeah, we're in shambles. Shambles, because EJ Gaines might not play. Meanwhile, I look at the Raiders. (laughs) Equal to Ron Brooks. Cornerback (laughs) Garyon Conley, shin, questionable. He hasn't played in two weeks. Maybe, okay. In fact, maybe even longer than that. Marshall Newhouse, offensive tackle, foot injury, questionable. Cornerback David Amerson, one of their starters, foot injury, questionable. Linebacker Markel Lee, ankle injury, questionable. Mar- running back Marshawn Lynch, out. suspension, out. Will not play. We talked about it last week. It's one of the most absurd plays I've seen in any football game how do you? Does he still get to travel the team? I, I, except he watches. I don't think so. He, except he watches the game at Applebee's. Yeah, that's where, that's where he should be. I just I don't understand what he was thinking. You come off the bench and you touch an official. You weren't involved in the play. You touch. You grab an official by the shirt, and then once you face to face, you realize who you have in your hands. You continue shoving him somewhere else. I don't know how you appeal that. I, I don't even mean, know why he bothered it, Yeah, me. sorry, I ran I mean, off the sideline. I've heard and defenses the of, well, in the heat of the moment. Well, first of all, you shouldn't have been in the moment. You should have been on you the bench the when you started. Yeah. Second of all, I've been in the heat of the moment, okay? I've been oh, in fist we, fight. We talked about this yeah. already, yeah. This pizzeria. I, would, I remember being in a, just trying to get my buddy out of a fracas, and somebody grabbed me on the back of the jacket, and I threw an elbow, a hard right elbow, and I didn't connect, thank God, because it was a cop. And I got slammed off my face off a brick wall and handcuffed. And I was just like, please, please don't pepper spray. For the love of God, don't spray. I understand heat of the moment. Marshawn Lynch didn't need to be there, so you can't cry. Oh, it was just in the moment. No, you put yourself in that situation. You deserve this. He, He entered the moment. So when you take a look at who the Raiders are, 
offensive preview. First and foremost, his presence is going to hurt their team even more than they're already hurting on the rushing front. They're one of the rare teams in the NFL that have the ability to throw the ball so well that it will set up their passing attack instead of doing it the other way around like most teams do. They lost Latavius Murray in free agency, though, and their ground game has sucked this year. They have an expensive offensive line that they paid a lot yep, of money lot for of and sank a lot of draft capital into. So the issues don't make sense, right, at, at, at face value. Yeah, I, I think you could make the argument that they're better without Marshawn Lynch <clears throat> because I think for a couple of weeks they've been like, well, well, we have to give him the ball. So maybe without him, when they don't need to feed him, they'll just stick more to their cell. Like, yeah, we're a passing team. I mean, they're 22nd in offense. I'll tell you Behind what. elite Derek Carr, I might add. <laughs> They're Behind 22nd. Elite Derek Carr. Now, I'll tell you this, though. Browsing the Raiders' blogs and just trying to find, you know, just, just trying to scout information. I figure, I found a storyline to their season that is going to ring familiar with a lot of Bills fans. The last two seasons, the Raiders have been a downhill power rushing team. You know, one cut, get downfield. Open a hole. Maybe a little bit of pulling guard action, but mostly just we're gonna we're bigger than you, we're more physical than you, we're gonna push you down and let open up a hole so our running back can run through it. Their new offensive coordinator runs a zone blocking scheme, who has decided to take the Raiders away from their power power running scheme and try to get them into this zone outside zone system, which is exactly what Rick Dennison did when he first got here. This week against Tampa Bay was the first time that Rick Dennison really kind of let go and went back to the kind of same ideas, the same concepts that we used to run under, and you saw that our rushing attack was like night and day. Their offensive coordinator in Oakland has been doing the same thing to them. They're the 24th-ranked rushing attack, and they're 24th-ranked in attempts. That's important, because what that tells you about their team is that when they get down, when we're down in a football game as the Buffalo Bills, we will continue to pound the rock because we know that it's going to keep your defense off balance yeah. and it works for us. This team has no problem abandoning the run when things aren't going well. What that says to me is that if we can get an early lead, we can force them to become a one-dimensional football team, which immediately plays should, into our hands. I should stop you right there because last year, granted the game was in Oakland, the Bills had an early lead, as you might recall. Oh my God, they forced the Raiders to be one-dimensional. Oh. And it backfired big time. Well, I'll tell you why. Look at their resurgent passing attack. For most of the season, Raiders fans have been complaining that their offense wasn't as explosive as they thought it was going to be coming into the season. Carr struggled early. The back injury didn't help him. But he wasn't alone. He's not the only person to blame for this. Number one wide receiver Amari Cooper leads the NFL in drops. Okay, He's looked like a shell of himself up until this past until week last when he dropped more than 200 yards. On 19 targets. On 19 targets because they fed him the football. I mean, he had less than 40 yards receiving in five of his last seven games, and then he exploded last week. So now that we've gotten to see what their passing offense, because Derek Carr threw for over 400 yards. Now that we've gotten to see what that looks like, this is uh, watching, re-watching the game with the coaching film. A couple things stuck out to me. They've been doing, they did something different in this game than they did in all of their previous games. 
First and foremost, they committed to play-action passing. They were last in the NFL in play-action passes per game coming into that game. Just two. Two every game they would run. Now, I don't know if that has to do with the fact that the rushing attack sucked, so they didn't think teams would fall for it. But whatever the case is, they ran it for multiple 20-yard passing plays, including a flea flicker for a touchdown, which is absurd. The flea flicker flicker counts as play action. I'm pretty sure if you lose... And someone scores a flea flicker against you. If you score, if I'm an NFL defensive coordinator and you scored a flea flicker touchdown against me, I would want to go home right then and there. I'd want to leave the press box and just call a cab. In order to combat that, our defensive backs are going to have to trust our front seven to control the line of scrimmage and be steady in their coverage assignments. They're going to have to trust that our linebackers can do their job in the short intermediate areas. Because if they get caught guessing on all of these play-action passes that are coming our way, we've seen that we can get beaten deep. A team finally showed it Mm -hmm. to us. You know, the cracks started to form in the Cincy game, and Tampa Bay blew them wide open. Then it was just the deep passing game. Carr, coming into last week, had only attempted 10 deep passes of more than 20 yards or more, and only had three completions. They opened up the playbook for 12 attempts, 122 yards, and a touchdown. They're giving him the reins, which I don't know why they weren't doing earlier. It sounds an awful lot like their offensive coordinator came in yeah. and just threw a wrench into shit that he didn't need to. That's what I was going to bring up. Like, <clears throat> just, I, got, I, got, I pulled this up. Listen to his passing yardage totals. 262 week one, pretty good. 230 week two against the Jets. Didn't really need it. They scored 45 points, two or three touchdowns. 118, 143, 171. Those were his three games before that. I know he missed yep. one game against Baltimore, but like those were three of his games until he throws for four seventeen yep. this past week against the Chiefs. So on my bench. Good. Well, that that's your fault. That's your fault. You put elite Derek Carr you, on because the bench. you think he's elite, but you put him on your bench. You're a fucking schmuck. Yeah, but defense <laughs> wins championships, and up until that point, Kansas City had had a good defense. So that's why he's on my. Fucking bench. You and let's be real. You both. They, they could have lost that game. They could have lost that game, they too. They absolutely should have lost that game. They should have lost that game. It should be 2-5. and five. All I know is that I ex- – now, this is the thing. What you see from a quarterback, he got his confidence last week, and he was slinging that ball around. They even called the design quarterback draw, even with his fractured backbones. A little weird. That was a little weird, but it ultimately resulted in the Marshawn Lynch suspension, which – is even crazier to me. Ultimately, he's got his confidence back. That doesn't make him the unbeatable. The fact that he's you know, in the pocket willing to take those downfield shots, though, that, sh- that makes them terrifying. Give that and the fact that they're gonna see, we're going to see a lot of shotgun offense in order to keep the pressure off of him. It's going to be, I'm sorry, but it's going to be like a shooting gallery out there for him. And our defense is going to have to be up to the task. They... Uh, Here's one reason I'm a, a little optimistic, I guess, is it was only one game, and it was a division game against a division opponent they know very well. They play against all the time. They don't play against the Bills all the time. They don't come all the way east all the time to play against the Bills. Yep. They haven't been <clears> on the road in a month. They, they've had three consecutive home games. All right. So this is their first road trip since October 1st that. when they went to Denver, and they barely scored. They lost 16-10. to 10. They were on the road the week before that in Washington. They scored 10 points, barely moved the ball. 
So uh, there, it is possible that they have found something and found something that works for them, like throwing to Amari Cooper a lot. I don't <laughs> know. Throwing to Amari Cooper 20 times. Yeah, just let – I mean, even, so what? Even if he drops eight of them, he catches 11 or whatever. Like, yeah, exactly. His stat line is incredible. But – and, you know, and then the Bills giving up 370 last week and letting A.J. Green go for a buck 89 a couple weeks ago. I mean, there's reasons to be concerned there. That's but it. The Bills are undefeated at home. It's probably not likely that they go eight and zero at home, but like they got a, I would say they have a really good shot at like six and two or better. I don't know. This is like, this is a shot for them to sort of drive a nail into Oakland. I mean, yeah. Oakland can be three and five <laughs> behind the eight ball in their division by a lot, yep. and then the Bills would have tie, the they would have tiebreakers with Oakland and Denver, who were yep. like supposed to be the like those are like those are the teams they're going to have to compete with if they're going to be in there, and they would have tiebreakers with both of them. That's a great point. I didn't even think about that. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, here's what I see from Oakland. And this is where I think I did my best work when it came to scouting this team. No, I'm not even kidding. Jordan Mills and Cordy Glenn versus Khalil Mack. And this isn't it, but this is a point that has to be made. Mack is a household name at this point. Game Former record. UB product, yep. game breaker. Everyone who watched Thursday Night Football this week saw him bench press an offensive tackle with one hand. It's fucking absurd. He's got so much power and speed, it's not fair. He does not suck. He can absolutely wreck any offensive coordinator's game plan. I might call him an elite defensive end. Cordy Glenn played well enough on Sunday, but the right side of our offensive line scares the shit out of me when it comes to trying to contain this guy. Now, they're going to line him up everywhere, and it's going to be on us trying to game plan for it, but that's going to be difficult. And Now, here's what I found out. With a little bit of deep digging, some scouring the internet for storylines, and then watching... Basically, it's watching film and comparing it with stats. Through the first half of the season, there were very few teams that blitzed as many times as the Raiders have. Their pass rushers struggled. They had no choice. They had to send extra pressure. It resulted in them getting torched by Washington on that Monday Night Football game. They got their asses handed to them. Mm -hmm. Their third down stop percentage was one of the worst in the NFL, getting burnt by tight ends and running backs because... If you take your coverage linebackers, sink them into your pass rush, and you're still not getting home, you're going to lose. Because somebody's open somewhere. Against the Chiefs, they they finally, it's like something flipped. And they did the opposite. Their defensive coordinator, Ken Norton, showed blitz on dozens of defensive snaps. Never sent blitzers. Instead, sank his linebackers back into pass protection. Now everyone goes, oh, yeah, you show blitz. What does that do? You know what it did? It gave Khalil Mack a one-on-one matchup almost every single time. You're talking about a quarterback who has to come to the line and make a sight adjustment because he sees seven guys at the line of scrimmage. He has to try to figure out who's blitzing and who's not. Slide protection. He knows they're not all coming. So he's going to start sliding protection. They managed to use that to their advantage to get Khalil Mack one-on-one with offensive tackles and tight ends over and over and over again. That's terrifying to me. The fact that their defensive coordinator finally woke up from his fucking nap and decided that he was going to do his job the week before we played them. Like, well, I, I, you know what? I I guess it happens once in a while. Like I've... I don't know if Geno Atkins really had a great game against the Bills. He was noticeable. Um, Von Miller was noticeable, but did he have a great game? I don't know. He had a sack in like the first possession, but that was about it. Um, I think the Bills did a really good job against Gerald McCoy. 
really good. I mean, okay. not that he was disruptive, but like he might have been disruptive at times. But like, did you really notice him? Were you no. like, I'll tell ahead. you right now, last week because I had to bring it up because I'm average football fan. He didn't even have McCoy listed in his like rundown at no. all, like on the because McCoy defense. doesn't scare me. He's an overpaid bum. Same way everyone Hot talks takes. about Marcel Darius. Hot He's takes. an over- Gerald McCoy's an over- overpaid bum. The same way Marcel Darius is. Okay, <laughs> yeah, I listen to that. Whatever. But I, Khalil Mack kind of ruined the game for the Bills at times last year. So he abused Jordan Mills last year, if I remember correctly. Yes. And so, yes, sir, he did. And now I don't, I'm not super comfortable with the rotation at right guard. John Miller and Vlad Dukas, I don't know what's going on there, but I feel like that's going to be something that they'll probably pick on, or at least try to pick on again. But not that the Bills necessarily can't be ready for it. Like they still allowed, like, Oakland still allowed 30 points last week. Well, and that's, I guess that that's the only reason that I'm confident coming into this week a little bit. There are cracks in the armor when Absolutely it comes to the Oakland cracks. defense. There's a reason that they haven't won low-scoring football games. I mean, you think about it. Like you said, the, the lowest-scoring game it sounds like that they've been involved in was the 10-16 to game, and yeah. that didn't go in their favor. And listen, like here's some things. like They let Hunter Henry go for 90 yards against the Chargers. They lost. They let A.J. Derby go for 75 I put out a tweet earlier this week, and I got a reply from you about Nick O'Leary. I didn't think you'd see a huge drop-off from Nick O'Leary. He had two catches for 58 yards. Granted, I mean, they – I mean, You did say it, Greg, I and I liked that tweet. And baby I was like, hands. here it is. Here it is. Yeah, I, I, I don't really like, – you know why? Because like, you made the point about Taylor. Like, you're not that much of a throwing offense. So why would you notice a huge drop-off? Maybe a little bit of a drop-off. Yep. But, like, I don't know. O'Leary is reliable. He's yeah. reliable for them. I don't see why he can't have a good game against his defense. Mike Wallace, Mike Wallace went for a buck thirty-three against the Raiders. I'd like. I'd hey, like when to, was the last time Mike Wallace went for a buck thirty-three? I went. I'd like to point out this: the Raiders are the only team in the NFL to not record a single interception. Not one. Then there's no way they're. Then there's no way they're hey, getting one this week unless it's a that tip. That sounds off. crazy when you consider how often teams have thrown against their defense. Four quarterbacks have thrown for more than 250 yards against that defense. And they've been allowing a 45% conversion rate on third down. When you go over the passing chart on profootballreference.com, it tells the story of a team whose linebackers have struggled struggled to provide any kind of contribution to passing protection. And that's where we get them. You said tight ends. Tight ends have feasted on this defense. Running backs who can catch out of the backfield have also done. Chris Thompson had 150 yards against them. 150 (laughs) receiving only. Their linebackers cannot cover. That's why tight ends are open. And here's the here's the even more backbreaking part: cornerbacks and safeties have to commit to playing the box because their linebackers can't cover in space. That ultimately leaves them susceptible to deep passing, which. Thanks to Deontay Thompson, apparently that's a thing now in Buffalo. Yeah, and, and, here they, and here they, here's like their last okay, like at least five out of seven games or whatever. They played Alex Smith, who we agreed throws the ball a little bit more than he runs it. But like before that, Philip Rivers, Joe Flacco, Trevor Simeon, Kirk Cousins, Josh McCown. Are those guys beating you with their legs? Like Tyrod Taylor can beat you with the no. legs? No. Like Tyrod Taylor's escape like has escapability within in and outside of the pocket. Can move the chains with his legs. And the Raiders really haven't faced that yet. And like they're allowing yards to tight end, they're allowing yards to running backs. This is just in the passing game. And they haven't really faced a quarterback 
with the abilities that Tyrod Taylor has. So, like, this is this is reasons to be optimistic. Like, there's like you said, there's cracks, there's things, there's statistics you can pick on. But ultimately, what it comes down to at the end of the day, and I don't mean to bring up like elite Derek Carr, it's like quarterback versus quarterback. It's like, what is Derek Carr going to do against your defense? Because that's what it came down to last year. Yep. The Bills got out in front because they have Tyrod Taylor and LaShawn McCoy, and the Raiders were like, oh my God, what the, what the hell do we even do? But then, then the like, quarterback. Be- then the Raiders were like, we'll just throw on every play and we'll score every <laughs> single time, and they won't keep up because they, they have to throw, they'll have to throw the ball. So that, like, that's the kind of situation you just have to avoid. It's going to happen again on Sunday because Derek Carr is elite. He's not elite, and I will tell you, my keys to victory. Keys to victory. First and foremost, LaShawn McCoy. He's got to have, like I said last week, in the passing game, he was going to be great against Tampa Bay. He was. He was also great on the ground. We're going to need a repeat performance of that. Oakland is entering this game as a 30th-ranked team in covering running backs and fullbacks through the air. And at the same time, last week, they got abused by a backup center and a backup guard when it came to rushing in the A-gap. That's something I try to exploit because if you can get up the middle of a defense with the safeties preoccupied with wideouts... And linebackers that we've declared not very good. You can get some breakout runs. I need LaShawn McCoy to continue being the elite running back that he's proven he can be. Downfield containment and communication. There were multiple communication errors that resulted in touchdowns on Sunday against Tampa Bay. That cannot happen against the Raiders. I I mean, for the first time all season, they were finally able to throw the ball down the field. Our safeties, our cornerbacks, everyone's going to have to be on the same page for all this. They're going to have to be. Make sure that they... Keep the ball in front of you. Do what we did in the games that we won, and you will continue to be successful. And finally, Tyrod Taylor. I want you to step up and prove me wrong. Okay? All of the stuff that everyone says that I'm wrong about, prove it. Prove to me that you can be more than just a simple game manager. Throw the ball accurately. Get me first downs, whether it's with your legs, whether it's with your arms. Keep the ball moving. And he did that for you this past Sunday, so you just need to see him do it again. I need to see some consistency. If he can turn right. into that guy every week, then yes, he's, he'd, be a, he'd be an above-average starting quarterback. But if he can't do it every week and he reverts back to who he was in the Carolina game, then I, don't, I have no use for him. This takes us right back to where like, we this is, you're, you're, Derek Carlos is essentially a playoff quarterback from last year. He got hurt and didn't play, but he was a playoff quarterback. So, yep. like... You're going up against one of the playoff quarterbacks, so just show them that I mean that you're on that level, not necessarily yep. through the air, but that you can be effective. Absolutely. Guys, predictions. Around the table real quick. 27-20 Raiders suck my ass. <laughs> I'm going to call Bills 21-17. Uh, right now, uh, talk to me on Sunday, and I'll be sure the Bills are winning. Right now, I'll pick Raiders 24-23. Real heartbreaker. Killing me. (laughs) Guys, we got to get out of here. But I'll tell you, make sure you check out Greg's YouTube channel. There's going to be a link in the description. Appreciate that. Go ahead and check it out. Yeah, Greg, uh, thank you for coming on after literally almost two years. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, a lot's changed. Last time we did it in Drew's apartment. I remember. Now we're at my apartment. There was a black guy in office, and I was married. That was the last so time. So many things. Have that changed. was the last time. Rex Ryan was the coach. <laughs> yeah, Rex was the coach. So many things have changed. Guys, well, here's what I know. 
I love this, this synergy. You you know football, Greg. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on. No, thank you. We can just we can just have a discussion. Us. Exactly. We I feel like we ran a long time. I mean, I I don't know if anyone's gonna listen to this entire thing, but like we that's what I'll happens. Have to. When you're talking about football, that's just what happens. You're talking about football with your buddies. That's it. I got carried away. Guys, make sure you check out Wise Guys Pizzeria. It's where we got our food from tonight. I'll tell you, they do a bang-up job. If you're ordering your pizza on Tuesday nights from any place else, they have pizza night on every Tuesday. $11.99, a large cheese and one-topping pizza. You can't go wrong with that. If you live in South Buffalo, West Seneca, you have no excuse. www.wiseguysbuffalo.com. You can even order online and just show up and pick it up. It doesn't get any easier than that. Come on now. Guys, follow us on Twitter at Rockpile Report and also on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash the Rockpile Report. And you're at G Tortolone on Twitter. G T O R L O N E, yes. Guys, give him a follow and tune into our uh, weekly Periscope Live and Facebook Live. Uh, Are you doing that? Because you're going to have every Saturday night. You're going to have to do that solo. I got family in town. Chris, you know I'll do it solo. Oh my I God. look good. I'm, I, I've got a face for camera. You'd be happy to. Jesus. I'm I've got a face for radio. I folks, might, I might have got, to tune in folks, for that, that, No, we got to get out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Greg Trelone. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rock Power Report. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online, schedule package pickups through the dashboard, and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers, with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.